We're in Acts chapter 10 today, steadily moving along. We're calling this story the Pentecost of the Gentile world. So we had the Pentecost of the Jewish world, and now today it's the Pentecost of the Gentile world. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 says, Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A centurion of the Italian cohort. We'll explain what those titles are in a minute. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was all his household. Just a quick note. God-fearers were what the Jews would call people who admired their God but were not Jewish. They were called God-fearers. So basically they would in some way imitate Jewish behavior, but they would not commit to circumcision. They would not commit to denying their, uh, their kin, but they would basically follow the acts of piety, giving alms, praying, fasting, those sorts of things. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was all his household. He did many acts of charity for the people and prayed to God regularly. About three o'clock one afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him and becoming greatly afraid, Cornelius replied, What is it, Lord? Another quick note. The word Lord here does not mean Adonai, as in Jesus or God. The word Lord here is similar to our English word, Sir. So it's just uh, an act of honor or a statement of honor that he's, he's referencing. He's not seeing uh, the angel of the Lord or he's not seeing what's called a theophany, which is God himself. He's just addressing the angel as sir. The angel said to him, your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Your prayers and your acts of charity have gone up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon, who is called Peter. This man is staying as a guest with a man named Simon, a tanner. Anybody know what a tanner is? They tan hides, right? This will be important for us to know. Um, these details are all important here. Whose house is by the sea, even where this guy's house is, is important for the story. When the angel who had spoken to him departed, Cornelius called two of his personal servants... And a devout soldier, so Cornelius here is a slave owner, he's got personal servants, and he calls one of his devout soldiers who's under him from among those who served him. And when he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we're going to dive off into some context and we'll come back to the scripture here in a minute. So Cornelius is a devout, God-fearing, generous, consistently praying man. Now remember last week... I drew a contrast between a people who were standing here and a people who were standing here. Here's the interesting thing about the story. Cornelius is standing right here. Thank God. Because that's where most of us found ourselves last week, standing up here. Um, Cornelius not only is not a Jew, but Cornelius is a slave owner. He is a centurion, which means he is a Roman army officer. 
He has at least 600 soldiers under him. He's over what is called the Italian cohort. The Jews were currently under the imperial thumb of Rome. So they were limited in their freedoms, and they were under this imperial ruler of Rome, which was a pagan rule. Cornelius is a representative of this pagan rule. He's one of the folks who not only is a centurion, he's not only a soldier, but he's got folks under him. He's, he's wealthy enough even to have his own slaves. This is encouraging to me because Cornelius, even amidst that system that is contrary to God, is able to pray and give alms that somehow find their way to heaven as incense. Some of your translations would call it a memorial offering. This is not the first time that we see prayers and acts of charity finding their way to heaven. Psalm 141, David says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. Revelation 5 and Revelation 8 give us these scenes in heaven where this scent comes up from the earth and finds its way into the presence of God. So much so that it gets God's attention. And guess what it is both times in Revelation 5 and in Revelation 8? Prayer. Prayer has a way of filling the senses of heaven. It's really interesting. All right. So Cornelius is basically acknowledged from heaven because he has created an incense that is burning its way somehow into this world that I don't know how to get there, right? I don't know that where this world is, but somehow this incense is getting there and God is smelling it and God says, this angel says, hey, your charity and your prayers have gone up and God's heard you and you're about to be the bearer of some of the biggest news that's ever hit the world. Now this man wasn't going to temple because he couldn't. He was a Roman military officer, which was an incredibly pagan nation. And somehow he has admired the Jews from a distance enough to say something about what they do with praying and something about what they do with giving alms, being generous to the poor, is worth adopting, and he did. Okay, so that's where we are. Willie Jennings, who I'll quote a lot today, he's a theologian from Duke Divinity School, he says about Cornelius, he's a God-fearer who stands at the door of Israel and knocks, praying the prayers of God's people as though he is one, embodying the hopes of God's people without them knowing it. He says, the angel says, hey, there's a man named Peter who's staying at the house of Simon, a tanner. Now, Jews had incredibly rigorous purity laws. A tanner's home would have been, it was actually sanctioned, they, they, there was a zoning law for tanners. They couldn't be in the housing district of the community because there's dealing with rotten flesh all the time. So rightfully so, you can't have the tanners living in the middle of the community because the community reeks. So typically a tanner's home was set up wherever the wind was blowing away from the community. That was how this worked, okay? If you'll notice, where's the tanner's home? 
by the sea. So we got a predictable wind coming pretty much every day. So we got him set up so that he can do his work. Tanning was not outlawed by the Jews, but tanners were typically not the people you hung out with because your chance of touching something unclean was heightened. All right? Here's where Peter's staying. He's spending the night at the man's house who is responsible for tanning the hides of the community. Log that in your brain because we'll come back to it. Cornelius sends slaves here in verse 7. Uh, it says, Cornelius called two of his personal servants and a devout soldier from among those who served him. And when he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius doesn't go to Joppa because he's too powerful of a figure. He sends folks who are under him. Willie Jennings said something I was reading that I thought was worth sharing because uh, I couldn't have said it any better. He said, It is the way of the powerful in this world who have others to walk, talk, and inquire for them. This is Cornelius's way. Yet as they move toward Peter, they are moving toward the overturning of the actual way that sent them. What he's saying is they're sent by a power that is oppressing them, and they're actually moving toward Peter, who's about to overturn the very authority that sent them, which I thought was a beautiful way to uh, show what's going on. Peter comes into the scene here in verse 9. It says, about noon the next day, while they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter doesn't know anything about Cornelius yet. Peter went up on the roof to pray. This wasn't a big deal because the way the, the houses were, these thatched roofs is typically where you went to get away. It was like a porch, basically. He went on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing a meal, a trance came over him. Notice the way God speaks. This is important for us as we move into learning how to pray, learning how to fast, those sorts of things. God speaks to Peter through the very thing his flesh is desiring, which is what? Groceries. It says Peter's hungry, and the groceries ain't ready yet. And God starts speaking to Peter through his physical desire. This is important for us to know. Because God is not talking about food here. Throughout... Uh, Early Jewish visionary literature, to have a vision of animals was all, almost always about a vision of nations. So if y'all remember Daniel chapter 7, anybody remember Daniel chapter 7? Nobody? Somebody make me a reference to Daniel chapter 7? We got a bear in Daniel chapter 7. I was told that the bear was, anybody remember? Russia, who said that? Somebody grew up in the... Pentecostal church on a revelation teaching, right? So um, that's what I was told too. So you got all these animals representing these nations, right? Persia, Mesopotamia, all these sorts of things. So this was not the first time that animals would have been synonymous with nations. Now, Peter is pretty notorious for having to be told more than once what to do. All right? Um, and once again, in this story, 
Peter's hungry. This trance comes over him. He sees heaven open and an object, something like a large sheet, descending, being let down to earth by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and wild birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Slaughter and eat. But Peter said, Certainly not, Lord, for I have never eaten anything defiled and ritually unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has made clean, you must not consider ritually unclean. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. Encouragement for you guys. God will keep speaking. Even when we are reluctant to trust his voice in the way Peter was. Peter could have just as easily the first time gone for it. Thankfully, God is a ruthless pursuer. Um, so if you heard God tell you something last week, last year, ten years ago, and you didn't do it, don't worry. You still got to do it. <laughs> Peter was puzzling over what the vision he had seen could signify. The men sent by Cornelius had learned where Simon's house was and approached the gate. They called out to ask if Simon, known as Peter, was staying there as a guest. While Peter was still thinking seriously about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, he's still in this trance. The Holy Spirit says, Look, three men are looking for you. But get up, go down and accompany them without hesitation because I have sent them. So Peter is doing a ritual, routine, everyday, mundane act of prayer. He goes and prays every day at this time. It's called a formative prayer ritual. And Cornelius, Cornelius was doing it and Peter was doing it. Because they had a daily time set to pray, they are basically given access to the most... Uh, what's, reconciling and inclusive news that had happened to a people since Genesis chapter 12. All because they had a daily old mundane routine of going and sitting up on top of the roof, nothing real big, probably a cup of coffee, sitting there, probably beginning in silence, that's what they would have done. Um, praying a psalm, that's what they would have done. That's what, sort of the Jewish formative prayer ritual. All of a sudden, we didn't expect anything. We do this out of obedience. We do this to to bring us back to center. And all of a sudden, boom, this ecstasy happens. He's taken up into this vision. He's hungry, and God starts speaking to him about all these animals. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. God starts speaking to Cornelius, who did the same thing, just going through this ritual mundane prayer, saying, hey, there's a man staying with a tanner over in Joppa. I need you to send for him. All because they had a daily old prayer habit. This is important. And Peter basically is still trying to discern what's going on, and the Spirit says, hey, they're outside. You mean metaphorically? No, like they're about to knock on the door right now. Get down off the roof and go meet these guys. Now, is this story about the conversion of a Gentile or about the conversion of an apostle? Cornelius is the Gentile, Peter is the apostle. Is this story about Cornelius' conversion or Peter's conversion? Yes. Thank you, Robert. 
we must not, this is important, we must not read this story from the safe vantage point of a majority religion, which is where we are as Christians in the United States, where broad-mindedness and toleration cost the majority nothing. But rather, we must read the story as it was first heard, from the minority point of view. People for whom a bit of pork or a pinch of incense or a little intermarriage was a matter of life and death for the community. Peter going to stay with Simon the Tanner, and Peter is about to go stay in the house of Cornelius. These are big deals. Because not only do you get ousted from the Jewish community, it is punishable by death. What Peter's about to do. He's about to go stay in the house of the representative of the Roman military power who is not a Jew, who is a Gentile, and he's about to go not only have conversation with him, but he's about to eat at his table. Some important stuff's about to happen. So, Peter welcomes the slave and the soldier that Cornelius sent and hosts them at Simon's house. All right. On the next day, he got up, this is verse 23, and set out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting anxiously for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So when Peter came in, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. Look at this. Cornelius, this man who's, he just was so noble that he couldn't even go to Peter's house. He sent his minions basically to go get Peter. When Peter comes in, he falls to his knees and begins worshiping Peter. Really interesting scenario. To which Peter says, get up, joker. This is a good way to get me killed. Are y'all alive out there? He didn't say that, all right? But that's about what he said. Um, he says, stand up. I'm a mere mortal, Cornelius. Peter continued talking with him as he went in. And he found many people gathered together. So Cornelius got a bunch of folks at the house. He said to them, do y'all know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile? This is against the law what I'm doing here. And y'all got a daggone crowd here. But God's shown me that I should call no person defiled or ritually unclean. Notice what the vision was about. It was not about animals. What was it about? People. He said, God told me in a vision that I should call no person unclean. Do you know we still in our culture have a people we call clean and unclean? You know what you call someone who's been sober for a month? Grouchy, yeah. <laughs> Clean and grouchy. Both of those things, Johnny. I like that. Somebody put that on the church website. Therefore, when you sent for me, I came without any objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was praying in my house and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your acts of charity have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and summon Simon, who's called Peter. 
This man is staying as a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Therefore, I sent for you at once, and you were kind enough to come. So now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. Now, is this how you imagined the conversion of the person you've been praying for? You've been praying for somebody to know the Lord, somebody to be saved, somebody to like have this encounter with God. Is this how you imagined it? That they would inquire of you to come to their house, that they'd have this banquet meal ready, invite all their friends, sit you down there and say, now tell us the gospel. Is that how y'all imagined it? Because we've imagined it wrong, we have assumed that we are the ones who are converting people. And the whole book of Acts is not the acts of the apostles. That's why your Bibles will never say that. Some people call it that. This is the action of the Holy Spirit of God. The whole book is just recording that God is doing way more than we could ever do. And all we got to do is go sit at the house and pray at 3 o'clock. And he'll tell us when to go. But we ain't got time to pray. And we would rather be the ones in power so... Since about the third century on, the way we've converted people is we said, Christianity's right, you jokers are wrong, convert or we're cutting your heads off. And, and basically, right? We have basically taken the conversion into our own control and then hoped that we had the right answers, hoped that God would give us some power. We've got to have all of our ducks in a row before we talk to somebody. But... I'm about to review the book of Acts for you because we've talked about all these stories. God is actually preparing people's hearts and getting them to invite the believer into their home. God is converting people over meals, except the meals aren't at the Christians' houses. When we think hospitality, we think we've got to be the ones inviting people in. We've got to find our lost neighbors. That ain't the way hospitality works in the scriptures. We get invited into their house. they got to cook. I'll be dog. That changes our posture though, right? Because now we're not the ones in power. Now we're the ones who get to come in. Just like Jesus sent out the disciples. He sent out 70, some scriptures say 72. He said, hey, go and knock on the doors. And, so, and basically, if they let you in, let your peace rest on the house. If they don't, take your peace with you, dust your shoes off, and hit the old road. Because conversion ain't up to you. All I need you to do is go knock on the door. Be a person of peace. I hope you find some burdens lifted off of you. The apostles do not solely go to be the nice people welcoming strangers. The word hospitality means love of or for the stranger. That's what that word means. Philozenos, love of the stranger. The spirit, though, is moving non-believers to welcome believers. Ananias, who we talked about, uh, was it last week, week before last, has to be welcomed into the place where Saul is staying. The Ethiopian eunuch invites Philip into his chariot. Cornelius welcomes Peter into his house. Why is this important for us? Because God hasn't changed his strategy of mission. 
we just assumed the wrong posture. We assumed the position of power and domination and forgot that we were the servant, supposed to be the one welcomed, not the one doing the welcoming. We got rich and said, let's build a bigger table rather than saying, I'm going to just pray and see where God is moving and let my life be something that people can observe, that angels can observe, so that I can get summoned to the house of the leader of the Italian cohort. This man's about to shake at least 600 people with his conversion. All because Peter had a daily prayer routine. Peter then goes on to share the gospel. If you want to see the picture of the gospel, read Acts chapter 10, 34 through 43. I'm not going to read it today, but if you, if you want to read it, be reminded of it. Acts 10, 34 through 43. The important thing about it is, Peter, when they say, hey, we just wanted you to tell us the good news. We've, the Spirit said that you had it, so tell us. And he never says a word about himself, about what God had done for him. You know what he says? This Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus. He just keeps referencing Jesus because the gospel is good news about Jesus. <laughs> and after he, he tells the story of Jesus, it says Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit fell on everybody in that house who heard the message. Hopefully he was loud enough because everybody who heard it, it said got it. The circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were greatly astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, no one can withhold the water for these people to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay for several days. Ronald Roheiser said this about prayer. He said, there is no bad way to pray. And there is no one starting point for prayer. All the great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer. And you have to show up regularly. Ronald Roheiser is, of our day, one of the... Masters of prayer. And here's his advice for how to pray. Show up and show up often. God is still in hot pursuit of every pagan you know. And he's not asking you to have all the answers to lead to their conversion. All he's asking you is to pray and listen. And when they say, hey, will you go with me to dinner? You go. Because we don't live in a hospitality culture like they did. We don't invite people to our house anymore. We use what's called third spaces now. Restaurants, coffee shops, gathering areas at work. But what we've got to be better at 
is being aware of who are the Corneliuses in our midst, because everybody here's got one. Every one of you have somebody who looks, they, they are knocking on the door. They fearing God and giving alms and even probably praying some. Just waiting on somebody to say, this Jesus. Jesus. 